Well, as a preacher, you know you've been gone for too long when on Saturday night you have to ask your 13-year-old son what time the services are tomorrow. Because that happened at my house yesterday. But in my defense, it's a new schedule, and I didn't miss any of the four services we had for a year, so I do want to just come to my own defense. But I did not know when church was today. So I need to, I guess reorient and reacclimate and find refreshment, sort of hit the reset button. And there's nothing that does that for me that I can think of like these words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in him with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I can't think of words that I love more than those words that cause me to be refreshed, motivated, energized. And those are just the first words that are in Ephesians chapter 1 with the Apostle Paul's blessing that's there that's so amazing. So if you have a Bible, I'll ask you to join me in looking at Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to look at this chapter this morning, if for no other reason, for my benefit. Um, but it is a very popular chapter amongst, uh, amidst OBCers, uh, because it's such a refreshing chapter that, in one sense, sets the world right, uh, because of what Christ has done for us. So I do want to draw your attention to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to focus on this chapter today, a chapter of praise, a chapter that emphasizes the gospel, God's sovereign grace teaches us about worship as it relates to theology. It's, it's a favorite and a great one. I make no apologies for that. So the formalities, we should look at the first two verses, even though we're really going to start with verse 3. But let's go ahead and see verse 1 where it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Two important introductory remarks, lots of you know this already, but your Bible may have a marginal note that says something like oldest manuscripts or older manuscripts or some manuscripts don't contain the two words in Ephesus. And that's because some manuscripts don't contain the two words in Ephesus. (laughs) And that's for good reason. It's thought to be a circular letter. So it's going to make the rounds. It's a universal letter. It's not a personal letter, and I don't mean that in a bad way. It's meant to go to Ephesus. It's meant to go to Colossae. It's meant to go to the other churches in the region because it is, in all the best senses, a one-size-fits-all letter. These things are true of all Christians. These things are true for all churches. These things are true of God and as he relates to all believers. And so I really like that about this letter because it's, all the Bible is timeless in a certain sense, uh, but this letter is meant for every church, including Omaha Bible Church. Another interesting point before we jump into it and things will really speed up is the fact that while we've added periods so that we don't fall over from exhaustion, uh, it's actually one long sentence, verse 3, all the way to verse 14, scholars would have us to know. And the reason that's significant is because it's as if the Apostle Paul, in a sanctified way, is falling all over himself. Okay? 
This is extraordinary. This is amazing. This is fantastic. I can hardly believe this is true. Get a load of this. This is staggering to the soul. This is amazing. I praise God for all of these great blessings that are ours in Christ. I can hardly believe this. You get the idea. Bursting forth, emoting in a perfectly controlled way, blessing God because of all of the absolutely soul-staggering riches that are ours in Christ. It's just about enough to give you a charismatic experience in all the right senses. If you want to learn about worship, this is a great place to learn about worship, and it's tied to theology. It's tied to knowing who God is, and it's tied to knowing what Christ has done for us. And he can't help himself but go on and on and on and on. And I'm going to do my very best to try to imitate that very thing. Let's jump in with verse 3. Get a load of this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And I'm thankful for that comma because I'm a preacher and I want to talk about it. But in a certain sense, you're not going to hear anything from my mouth that's better than what we've just heard or seen on the the page. It's this great, extraordinary reality. He, He doesn't say, and I won't say, this is incredible. Because as a Christian theologian, I never say, this is incredible. This is credible, he's going to say. Now, if you tell me some kind of wild-eyed story experience that you have, I might say to you, that's incredible. Well, secret's out. Uh, It means I don't think you're telling the truth. (laughs) Bless God. Look, in Christ, and he uses it often, and sometimes we as Christians don't even know what that means. In Christ, has blessed us in Christ, it means united to Christ. When you believe in Jesus as your Savior, you are united to Him spiritually. So all of His earnings, if you will, all of His benefits become yours. And so it's a great, compact way to summarize what it means to be a Christian. We're in Christ. Well, the Apostle Paul is praising God, praising Him because He has blessed us, notice it says, united to Christ, in Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So every blessing that you would ever need, every blessing that you would ever want is yours. How could that possibly be? Sounds incredible. No, it's credible because of what Christ has done. And if you're trusting in Christ and what he has done, you're united to him and you receive all of those benefits. It is extraordinary. It's no wonder he says, blessed be this God. Someone once asked me, they said, why would we bless God? I thought he blesses us. Well, two things can be true at the same time in different ways. If you, if you bless someone, uh, you, you, in a sense, you're, you're saying something nice about them. Um, or you might even be doing, giving them something nice. But the, the idea is a good synonym because he's going to use it as a synonym. Trust me. Don't trust me. You're going to see it. Praise. But we're saying true things about God. We're saying good things about God. God, you're amazing. God, you're gracious. God, you're wise. God, you're benevolent. God, you're saving. God, you're providing. And he's saying all of these kinds of things that are true of God. And they're true of God as he has blessed us by giving us salvation in his son. 
It is extraordinary. Every blessing. There are things in this life I lack. There are things in this life that you lack. Everyone does. But you have to know that if you are in Christ, friends, if you are in Christ, every spiritual blessing is yours, even if you are yet to experience it. Lacking nothing. All yours. That's, that's pretty extraordinary. In the heavenly places. What's fascinating about that is, maybe at first we'd think, well, in the heavenly places, that would be, well, heaven's good and heaven's a good thing, so that's a synonym for goodness. That would be true. The extraordinary beyond this life, beyond this realm of death and suffering, that would all be true. But what's fascinating is, as we read on, he's going to talk about Christ is there. In the heavenly places, as the ascended one. See, all of these blessings are tied to him because he is our righteousness. Another good insight is that means all of those blessings that are ours are safe because they're in the heavenly places, which is where Christ is. So I can't jeopardize them. I can't lose them. Can't get rid of any. Can't, can't have them taken away from me. They're in Christ, safe for us. I can't mess it up. You can't mess it up. Somebody else can't mess it up. They're in the heavenly places. Well, we should move on to verse 4. But do notice the bless God theme carries all the way down to verse 14. So we're going to continue blessing God. Then verse 4, even as he, even as God chose us, chapter 1, verse 1, saints... So he chose us. Everyone who is a saint is one who has been chosen. Everyone who has been chosen will at least one day be a saint. Chose us in him, in Christ. Notice when this happens, before the foundation of the world. So he doesn't doesn't choose us in him when we raise our hand. He doesn't choose us in him when we walk down an aisle because of emotional music. Before the foundation of the world is when he chose us in him. Wow! that we should be holy and blameless before Him. So before time as we know it, before the foundation of the world chosen in Christ, say what? Wow! And when, and He chooses us in Him before the foundation of the world, so what will happen? We can, we can have a mulligan, we can have a do-over, as one famous pastor says. Eh, wrong answer. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. What does the text say? So that we would be holy and blameless before Him. Distinct, unique, set apart for a special purpose, holy. Blameless? Now, if I try really hard and don't let you get very close to me, maybe I could be blameless. But if you're close to me, you'll say, hey, that, guy's got, that guy's got faults. That guy's got clay feet. None righteous, no, not one, including Pat Abendroth. You get the idea. This is true of all of us. We, we, try to, we try to be blameless before one another. We try to do the right things. We try to uh, not have uh, fault found with uh, ourselves. But do notice what we're talking about here. Blameless before the one who really matters. 
blameless before the one who is omniscient, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-wise, ever-present. You, I'm here to tell you that apart from something, you cannot be blameless before God. It's impossible. As a son and a daughter of, sons and daughters of Adam, we cannot be blameless before God. That's an absolute, utter impossibility, and the Apostle Paul knows it. In chapter 2, he says, we're dead in trespasses and sins. We're children of wrath. What do you, what do you, what do you mean blameless? Because we're in Christ. We're in, if we're in Christ, we can be blameless before God because, and he'll unpack this for us, because Jesus Christ is the righteous, the perfect one. Jesus Christ is the one who atones for our sins. Jesus Christ is the one who reconciles us to God. So how about this? How about this? If you are a Christian, not in a cultural sense, but in a, a sense where you're, you're trusting in the work of Jesus, that he was raised for you, that he died for you, that he lived for you, that he fulfilled all of the obligations for you. If you're trusting in Christ, I want you to know you are blameless before God, you will be blameless before God, and nothing could ever undo your blamelessness before God. Pretty wild. Pretty wild. Pretty amazing. It's no wonder he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is an utter impossibility unless there's a substitute. Lots of Christians even somehow think, somehow, well, you know, when you believe in Jesus, it inspires you to now do your best to become blameless. And, and you know, God helps those who help themselves. That's in the book of Second Lies, chapter 2, verse 1. But even Christians think it's true, you know? Authentic, legitimate, biblical Christianity, blameless before God because you're in Christ. And as we're going to see, it's sealedly so, to make up a word. Irreversibly so. It's no wonder he's giving us a really long sentence. This is extraordinary. This is absolutely amazing. Chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Blessing God for that indeed. What a blessing that is to be given. It's tied to Christ. It's not tied to ourselves. We should keep moving. In verse 4 it says, In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. There it is. He's so excited. But now he has to say the P word and so he's really discouraged. No! That actually causes him enthusiasm. This is amazing. What a God we're talking about here. We're not talking about the God of somebody's imagination. We're not talking about the God of some theologian. We're talking about the God who is, who raised his son from the dead and that God... That God is the God who predestines. There it is, right there. To have a destination and have it solidified, determined, irreversibly so, that it will be reached. And I hope you're not like the naysayer unbelievers saying, I don't like that. I hope you're like the Apostle Paul and you say, 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Even if you don't understand it fully, you say, that's amazing. Pre-destination. Yesterday, you all look like you needed an illustration. No, you actually don't, but I'm going to give you an illustration of what this is not. So yesterday, we moved our youngest daughter from one rental property to another one. And so, word on the street was, uh, she and her friends were going to pitch in together and rent a U-Haul, 26-footer, and uh, share the expenses, and what could go wrong? Um, anyway, love my kids, but sometimes gray hair means wisdom. Sometimes, it doesn't always. So, mom and dad got involved, and um, we'll pay for the U-Haul. Um, we won't be letting others drive it. We will get the insurance. Uh, <laughs> So we had a, I went to go pick it up and we had a destination rental property. Number one made it. (laughs) Okay. It didn't look like the best U-Haul in the world either. One lights hanging down and they're going to hold me responsible for that. Anyway, I could talk about it all day. So made it, loaded it, secured it. Next destination made it, secured it. Everything's okay so far. Only one more destination that we have planned, and that would be getting it back to the U-Haul place. Made it, done, took the pictures, submitted it according to the app. So far, I haven't gotten any emails, texts, or visits. Okay? That's not what we're talking about. Because, why? Because Pat is not all-powerful. I can't control my own actions the way I want to sometimes. Not to mention all of the other drivers and all of the other people. I had a destination in mind. But when we're talking about God, He has a destination in mind and He's all-wise, all-knowing, all-powerful. And we're going to see in chapter 1, verse 11, He works all things after the counsel of His will. We're not talking about Pat. And we're not talking about you and we're not talking about any lesser God. When God has a destination in mind, the destination absolutely, most certainly, without any question, will be reached. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's extraordinary. Extraordinary. In love, not in controversy. Not in suspicion, not in question, in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons. So adoption, if you're adopted as a son, he's talking about heirship, if that's the right word to use. You're an heir, you have all the benefits, all of the privileges as his blessed son, because we're in him, we're united to him. So adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Doesn't get better than that. And to grasp this, is to do what? To grasp this is to echo verse 6. To the praise of His glorious grace with which, notice I said earlier, blessed, a good synonym would be praise. That's where I got the idea from. To the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the beloved, in Christ His glorious grace, unmerited favor. We like to say demerited favor because we weren't neutral when He gave us this great grace. We actually were transgressors. And so He gives us this free gift in Christ. 
not what we earn, not what we deserve. And I know enough, and most of you know enough, but even if you don't, you came to the right place. The Apostle Paul can say what he says here in light of what he's going to say in chapter 2, dead in trespasses and sins, children of wrath, even as the rest. So it's not that, oh, God gives us all these blessings because we're good. He gives us all these blessings actually because Christ is good. Glorious grace, astounding, mind-staggering, heart-stirring, glorious grace. And if you're paying attention this morning, and I hope you are, we're going to see that as something that keeps coming up again and again. Glorious grace, praise, glorious grace, praise. This is where you truly learn about worship. And it's not through a humanly contrived manipulative, emotional kind of thing. Emotions are good and they have their place. I think he's emotional here. It's theology. It's knowing things about God and how he works. Causes to the praise of his glorious grace, to the praise of his glorious grace. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because of what he knows to be true about God. People sometimes say the craziest things, right? Well, I, I, I don't want to learn about theology. I just want to praise. Well, I think that's called idolatry. Um, that we have an object to our faith. God, the one true living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as we will see in this passage. And it's because of knowing Him and how He works. Praise God, praise God, praise God. It's not cold. Let's not not be those people either. It's passionate. But it's informed with truth. It's amazing. To the praise of His glorious grace. You don't get the idea, or do you get the idea the Apostle Paul's being arrogant here? Sometimes that people say, well, if you believe in predestination, you're arrogant. How could you have such self-confidence? I maybe understand why people would think that way. No Christian should think that way. We know what chapter 2 says about us. It's all because of His grace through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The height of arrogance would be to say it's not true. The Apostle Paul is not being arrogant here. He's stumbling over himself, if you will, Praise, 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 praise. Not attaboy, attaboy, attaboy. God did this. God did this. God did this. I could never do this. So good. I hope you guys are having a good time because I'm having a time of my life. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul knows he doesn't contribute anything other than the need. Verse 7. Don't miss this. In Him, so being united to Him again, Christ, in Him we have redemption. Not we might, but we have it. It is a possession. Redemption is a word that's used for, uh, he, he, He's using mark, the, the marketplace terminology. Um, the Bible teaches that Christians are enslaved to sin. Romans chapter 6, for example. So we're enslaved to sin. Redemption is where we have someone enter the spiritual marketplace and purchase our freedom. 
And that's what Christ does through His work. He redeems us. He pays and we're set free. Now we have a gracious master. We have redemption. Not possible, but we have redemption. How? Through his blood, symbolic for his death, right? Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses or our sins or our violations against God's divine law, he redeems us from guiltiness according to the riches of his grace. There that is again, Not according to our virtues, but according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished, great word, lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. God is wise. God is insightful. All wisdom and insight. This is beyond His pay grade, if you will. He doesn't have enough letters behind His name to even understand all the ins and all the outs, but He knows that this was done by God, so it's done in all wisdom and insight. And God is not, as my old grandma Erna used to say, stingy. He lavishes his grace. It's not, well, I've got some grace for you if you do enough good and I'll reward you and here's a little grace. He, no, he's not, he's not like that. He, he lavishes. God is liberal with his grace. Got your attention, didn't I? God is liberal with his grace. He gives it to those He's chosen and He gives it freely to those He's chosen and He gives it wonderfully. I think of, you know, we, we, people talk about living in the lap of luxury. We have this, this luxurious grace. It's, it's so beautiful and so amazing and so wonderful. You, if you have every spiritual gift in the heavenlies, every spiritual blessing, you wouldn't need any more. There were, you, you have everything. He's lavished it upon us in all wisdom and insight. Not because we deserve it, but because Christ is the perfect Savior. Now, I've been using the word grace a fair amount. In case you don't know what grace means, um, it means nothing. It's not altogether true. But lots of you, knowing the demographic of Omaha, Nebraska, come from a religious background where grace is a thing. Grace is a substance. It's almost like it's the spiritual gas that's infused in you or some kind of spiritual liquid that you have uh, given to you. And so you go to church to get grace as if it's a substance and then you spill it during the week or you lose it or you get rid of it or something happens and you got to come back to get more grace. And that's not the biblical idea. Grace is receiving something, yes, freely, yes, that you haven't earned, yes. But everything here has to do with Christ. And Christ is not a nothing. He's a person, a real person, the God-man. And we receive Christ when we come to believe in Him and all of His benefits We're in Christ, but how do we get in Christ? And how do we receive all of the blessings? Not by our earning, not by our performing, not by our merits, but by His. So you have to keep that in mind. I was just thinking about the song Amazing Grace. It doesn't really work to say amazing nothing. <laughs> Great grace is real. Don't get me wrong. Grace, grace is real. Um, 
but it's how we're saved in and through Christ. Do notice there's a purpose, there's a will, there's a plan. History's always been going somewhere and that history's always been centering upon Christ, even if history hasn't known it. Verse 9 says, making known, revealing, revelation kind of terminology, making known to us, this is another reason to bless God, making known to us the mystery of His will. Try that with people. You know what? I know God's will. I definitely know God's will. I'm certain of God's will. They're going to think you're arrogant, prideful. I don't say I know God's exact will for your life as to who to marry, what to do, what to buy. But we know God's will. The greatest part about God's will, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose. And here I love these words, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, think fulfillment, think apex, think culmination, think it's where everything's been headed for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. That's astounding. It's been all about Christ. And now we know the truth about Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. To the praise of His glorious grace. To the praise of His glorious grace. It's, it's, it's the will of God. It's the mystery of God. It's the greatest plan and purpose ever to be known. Then verse 11 says, In Him, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance. Well, remember that inheritance is in the heavenlies. We learned that in verse 3. We have obtained an inheritance. It is ours, but it's safe. It's in Christ, or it's with Christ, having been predestined. If you thought it was a typo before, now you know it's not, and it wasn't a typo. According to the purpose of Him who works all things, according to the counsel of His will. Hmm. That verse changed my life. And how I think about All things. I don't always know how all things are working together according to the purpose of His will. But I do know that all things are working together according to the purpose of His will. I mean, that, 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 that's a, that's a shocker if you have never thought about it before. And the Apostle Paul doesn't say, and I don't know if I approve. (laughs) What? to the praise of His glorious grace, to the praise of His glorious grace. I hope it's rubbing off on you if it hasn't already. He then says, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. Sometimes people talk about trophies of grace. Yeah, it's Him. He's the one who's done it. It's for His honor, for His fame. He's that kind of God who saves according to His purposeful plan. Now we need to move into the time frame where before the foundation of the world, we're going to move into time frame as we would know it. How about verse 13? Verse 13 says, in him you also. So he's talking about himself in verse 12, if you will, the first to hope in Christ. But then they evangelize, they do great commission work and others come to believe in Christ. And and even though there's differences between Apostles and non-apostles, there are also similarities. And here's the similarity. In him you also, this is verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel, the good news of your salvation, the good news about Christ, of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed as in official, as in royalty, as in it's safe 
not to be meddled with as a signet ring, if you will, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. So we have Trinitarian praise. We have Father involved. We have Son involved. We have Spirit involved. This isn't in my notes, but we are having a conference in the fall, so I would guess that at least one of our speakers will go to this text and you'll be all warmed up. You'll be ready because it's going to be a conference on our triune God and His redemptive purposes. So early October, uh, we're going to have John Fesco here and Matthew Barrett here and the elder, wiser Mike Abendroth here who is related to me. So we're going to talk about these kinds of things in more detail, but this is a good warm-up for, for us when we talk about the sealing work of the Spirit, when we talk about the redemptive work of the Son, when we talk about the predestining work of the Father, and all of these things are designed to give us worship. Blessing God for this. Another great thing is it puts everything into perspective. Safe, secure, safe, secure. In this life, Jesus said, you will have trouble. The Apostle Paul says, all who desire to live godly in, in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We live in a broken world. We live broken lives. This helps our perspective. We can praise God through it all because certainty security seated in heaven to the praise of his glory. I'm tempted to stop, but we need to finish the whole chapter. We did it first hour. I don't need to ask for a refund. And actually, the next section we can do real quickly, but the Apostle Paul, here's what he does. He then prays for the people who get the letter in Ephesus and beyond to use my words, that they would get it. <laughs> that they would really get it. So that it would influence the way they think. So that it would influence them to act the way he's acted. So it would influence them to think rightly and live rightly. So let's look at this delightful prayer. For this reason, this is in verse 15, for this reason, and I take it that, that that's capturing all of verses 3 to 14. For this reason... For this long sentence, even though it's not in English, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you, think about how great he is if he is the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and he's the Father of glory. Think about how great he is that he, I'm asking, Paul says, I'm asking that God that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. In other words, I'm, I'm praying that that great God, this God of redemption, this God of predestination would help you understand that you can understand these things and grasp these things. Then verse 18 says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. That, that's a trippy word picture, isn't it? Think about it the eyes of your heart. Draw me a picture of that, boys and girls. Well, he doesn't mean to be taken literally, but he's capturing the idea, right? You, you see things with your eyes, 
But we don't have eyes on our hearts, but our hearts reflect who we really are deep down, earnestly, genuinely, not just a passing thought, but the eyes of your hearts would be enlightened, that you would really see this, see this in a spiritual way that actually would make a difference that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened, that you may know, see, that's the idea, so that you may know, but not in a surfacey way, what is the hope, the confidence regarded in the future to which he has called you. Think about this, that you would have understanding and confidence about something that you can't see. But based upon everything we're reading here, The thing you cannot see is maybe more real than anything you've ever seen. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance? And we learned in verse 14 that inheritance is secure in heaven because it's Christ. In the saints, he says then, verse 19, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us? I want you to get that. I want you to grasp his immeasurable, the greatness of his immeasurable, excuse me, the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. And it's seen in Christ according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Before we end it, it, it's fascinating to me. I just said, you know, something more real is something you can't even see, perhaps more real than anything else. But don't, don't mishear me. He's not saying, you know, wink, wink, take it on faith, faith in nothing. He is tying all of this to the historic, oh, now bodily before eyewitnesses resurrected Christ. It's true. There's a lot of the stuff that we can't see before the foundation of the world can't kind of see. Seated at the right hand of the Father right now can't see. But he can speak of it with such great passion and confidence, not only because of special revelation given to him, but because it actually is grounded and tied to real, real history. His power toward us. Think about verse 19, that that power toward us. We need to see that. We need to understand that in a true, genuine, earnest, deep kind of way. And obviously, then he links it to resurrection when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So when we think about the resurrection of Christ, I hope we think lots of things. But we definitely should think power of God. But that power of God that raised Christ from the dead is the power of God that is for us, not against us. Raised for us, as well as lived and died for us. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Notice what he's doing. He's going for universality. He's going for for above and beyond, greater than, oh, you're being persecuted by someone. You're being inflicted by someone. Someone's treating you unjustly, even great and powerful people. 
just know this. You have an inheritance that is tied to the one who is greater than any of it and all of it. And I have to say with the Apostle Paul, when this is all over, and I hope you can as well, even if you don't have it memorized, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Him with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places to the praise of His glorious grace, to the praise of His glorious grace, to the praise of His glorious grace. Oh, it's so good. So good. Sign me up to live another week as a Christian and face whatever it is I need to face as a Christian because of what I have in Christ. It makes me want to go to Romans 8 and talk about a great complimentary passage, but we won't go there today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for a good refresher from Ephesians chapter 1. I'm thankful for it, for my own soul, and would ask that you would use it in the lives of these men and women and boys and girls as well. Help us to have perspective that goes beyond the next five minutes or five days or the last five days or last 500 days. Help us to be reminded wonderfully today that we're talking about you, the eternal God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with a plan and a purpose that centers upon none other than the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're grateful for this. It is beyond our full comprehension, but we're certainly grateful that we can understand And we would ask with the Apostle Paul that we would understand better that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened and informed. May we pray these kinds of prayers for one another. Encourage us, Lord, to look beyond the mundane and the everyday and see all of the everyday things in light of the great thing, the will of God for us in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We are going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. So if you would, you can open up the top portion so that we can be ready to eat the bread together. If you want to wait for me, though, so we can all eat at the same time, uh, we're